Welcome to another fabulous episode of Retrovaniacs, kind of an audible episode. We're changing what we were supposed to be covering this week. Uh, at the end of the last episode, we had said we were going to cover Super Black Bass for the Super Nintendo, uh, but not just because I'm inexplicably bad at it, but <laughs> Billy is not able to make it this week, uh, and this really was a, a game he wanted to cover. Uh, I don't want to leave him out, so I decided uh, to, to change the game up to something that kind of ties to what I've been playing recently. But before I get into what I've been doing recently, uh, Jeremy, how are you doing on Persona 5? Oh, I'm, I'm actually doing well. I, I know the, a couple episodes ago, I really just kind of shit all over it um, for the people that kind of set to the end of the, the podcast and, and listen to me complain about it. Uh, but once I finally got to the point where the game lets me play it, I was I, I've kind of really gotten into the whole gameplay loop of it, of uh, you know doing the dungeon, going out and doing what I want to do. I still think there's far too many days where the game makes you do what it wants you to do compared to like Persona 4. But overall, I've got to the point where I am really addicted with it. I, I've actually um, it, it probably took me two months to go through the the first dungeon because I was just forcing my way through it. And uh, since then, I have managed to make it through the next three dungeons. So I'm like, uh, I think it's like four four dungeons deep into it now, uh, heading into my fifth, and really, really enjoying it. Uh, the characters of some of them have kind of come around; others have stayed kind of annoying to me, but I can live with it. I love the gameplay. I still love the art style and everything like that. I'm, I'm just glad I got to the point where it didn't feel like it was literally pulling me by the hand through the game, which is what it does probably for the first ten hours of that game. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, there's definitely, as far as, let me try that again. It definitely feels like it's it's guiding you. It, I don't think it feels as, I like Persona 4, so I don't want to make this sound like I'm complaining about Persona 4, because uh, I still think that's possibly one of the best JRPGs ever made. But the first 10 hours of Persona 4 has minimal combat. It's a lot of learning how to do the rest of the social junk in the game and builds the story up, but there's not much combat. This game at least dives you straight into combat, even if it's kind of a tunnel of combat, effectively. Um, but at least gets you into the combat mechanics pretty quick. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do say, agree. I would actually, you know, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I would say the beginning of Persona 5 would be so much better if that first dungeon was like half half, as size, half the size it is. Because it's a big dungeon. Like, it takes quite a while to get through. I maybe You know, it's, it's early in the game. You can't switch out other characters because you don't have other characters. Uh, but it goes and it goes and it goes. And it just seems like, I don't know, I, I just I was very tired of it by the time I got to the end of it. And I was just really wanting things to move along. But since it's a JRPG, it has to, it, everything has to be as, take as long as possible <laughs> to, to spell it out for you and, and guide you through and, and throw out tutorials and everything. Uh, and I just got so tired of that. And but by the time it let me loose, uh, I was I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't think the first one was that bad the first time through. And I will say I, I've started my second playthrough on it and I breezed through that first dungeon pretty quickly. So I think it's just maybe you just 
didn't fully appreciate the game, so it took longer because you were kind of grudgingly playing it at that point. But I, I maybe I just didn't know the things that I could and couldn't do at that point. Maybe once I do a second playthrough, I you know I, I can do what you're what you're doing. But it really felt like okay, I have to do exactly what the game is wanting me to do right here. I have to play it exactly like this. Go go to the people it's wanting me to do right now. I don't know how much freedom it really gives you in the first part of the game. But since then, you know, I've taken out dungeons in just like, you know, two or three days. But it seems like that first dungeon took me like a half a fucking month to finish. Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes you do little steps for that first dungeon. That that doesn't change. But at least going through each step was fast. Um, yeah, I will admit the first dungeon, especially after you've played it through, is, is a little handholdy. But eh, I'm glad that you've come around on it because I still think it's a great game. Uh, and I do think the later characters are way better than the early characters. Yes, definitely. I am... I'm so glad that the the characters are uh, from the original three or four have really progressed uh, beyond just me being like meh to to, to them. Uh, the ones you get after that, and even the the social friends that you get that you don't actually play, um, are really interesting. Uh, even more so than I thought. What what were in a what was in Persona Four? So um, really really liking it so far, and I, I think I'm actually gonna keep playing it till the end. Uh, well, not not to continue to stay on JRPGs, but that's what I've been playing as well. Not Persona 5, but uh, they just re-released the, the remake of Final Fantasy XII, uh, The Zodiac Age, which is an incredible remake uh, slash re-release. It's the same exact game uh, at its core. They didn't add a whole lot of extra quests or a whole lot of new maps. They didn't redo any pieces of it, but they've, they've tweaked the mechanics substantially, at least compared to the U.S. release. I know that they did release uh, Zodiac Age in Japan a lot sooner than this. I mean, even on the PS2, I think they had that that kind of collector's edition Zodiac Age. But basically, in the original Final Fantasy XII, you couldn't change what each character was, uh, which is kind of a, a throwback to older Final Fantasies where you, you didn't have job systems or anything. It was just like, yeah, here's your here's your character, and you can kind of change their skills, but you know, essentially, if, if you wanted this guy to do magic, he doesn't do magic. He never will. Uh, Zodiac Age lets you, you change their classes, much like a traditional job system. Uh, and then each class has their own skill tree, and it's pretty involved. It, it changes the game uh, drastically, but nowhere near as amazingly as the ability to speed walk slash speed fight. <laughs> Holy crap. I was going to ask you about that. At first, I was like, oh, who would want this? But after the first couple hours of the game, I'm like, oh, I want this. I want this all the time. Not just the speed walk part in towns, because the maps are huge. You have to manually walk a lot. There's not. I mean, they do have teleporting, mm-hmm. but it's not. Um, it's not local enough in many ways. If you're in a city and you want to go from one side of the city to the other, there's not a good teleport from that. But if you want to go from one city to another city, there is probably a fast teleport for that purpose. Uh, but there's not one for for more. Uh, you know what they expect you're going to want to walk in. But in, on the regular speed walking through a city, sure, it's only two to three minutes. But it's two to three minutes of doing nothing but walking to get to the next place you need to go, even if it's just a store. So uh, the speed walk is essential and is incredible. And speed combat, uh, as long as you remember to turn it off when you get back to difficult fights, is outstanding for grinding fights. Um, I mean, there's there's parts of the game, again, because the maps are so huge, that just to get to, to get to the dungeon you're trying to get to the first time, you've got to go through, you know, four or five giant giant map areas which are essentially four big dungeons anyway to get to the dungeon Mm -hmm. you're trying to get to that ends up not being too big at all compared to the outside areas so now that i can but the enemies are much easier because they expect you're going to just grind on 20 guys in each map or whatever so this has enhanced it massively and i'm actually very excited because final fantasy 12 is the first 
role-playing game, I, Japanese role-playing game I played in a long, long time. I actually took like a, a five-year sabbatical, actually longer than that, probably like a six-year sabbatical from playing any, from them being my favorite possible game type to being a game I refused to play was a Japanese <laughs> RPG uh, up until Final Fantasy XII. And the only reason I even got that is was completely on a whim. I found it on, on clearance at Target for like $13, and I thought, whatever, I haven't played one of these in a long time, and it looks nice. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I and after I figured out the kind of, in my opinion at that time, wonky combat, uh, I really, really liked it, and it got me back into it. Now, I, you know, that's back to my favorite kind of game. But the reason I started a six-year break from RPGs is almost entirely the game we're going to talk about today instead of Super Black Bass, <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII for the original PlayStation. Now, see, I, I, I know we kind of just had to come up with this on a on a whim and all, but uh, it, it's probably good that we finally get to do this because I, I know that this is one of the games, possibly the only Final Fantasy that I, I think you cannot actually stand. Uh, you've tried multiple times to play through this. Uh, we've had to sit and witness this ourselves uh, throughout the uh, even the time we've been doing this podcast, and I don't think you've ever made it through once. I, I hadn't made it through once ever. The very, uh, you know, just as a backup, for some reason, if you were on another planet and you had no idea what we're talking about, Final Fantasy VII, everyone should know. It came out in 1997. It's the first Final Fantasy on one of the, the 32-bit, you know, PlayStation, Saturn-era systems. And at the time, even though I didn't necessarily like Final Fantasy VII, I didn't hate it by any means, but I thought it was far more flash than substance. That said, it was still a great game. I, I just I was in love with the series. I wanted kind of a more in-depth Final Fantasy than than what Final Fantasy VII was uh, as a game mechanic. But but the cinematics, the story, all of that was incredible, and I I did love playing through Final Fantasy VII. So I'm not trying to get into a discussion about it. I think it's good. I don't think it's the best Final Fantasy by any means, but it's a great Final Fantasy. It's a good game. So I was yeah, super. That's, that's where I was. I mean. Obviously, Final Fantasy VII is an all-time classic, regardless of, of what you think of Final Fantasy games. Um, you know, I kind of got into Final Fantasy a little bit late compared to a lot of people. I, I got into it uh, when Final Fantasy VI came over here as Final Fantasy III. So that was actually my first Final Fantasy. And then when Final Fantasy VII came out, you know, it just blew everybody away. It was, you know, regardless of what you think of the game, uh, you, you have to admit that it, it changed everything for JRPGs. Um before it was a very niche kind of genre and Final Fantasy VII turned it into this mainstream event that everyone played. And so when when Final Fantasy VIII, you know, those first pictures you saw of Final Fantasy VIII, you were like, oh my God, they've, they've just turned it up. You know, they this is what, you know, the, a true sequel to what this is going to, you know, Final Fantasy was. So um, I was really looking forward to Final Fantasy VIII. I'd like to say I was, but I was already kind of burned out on on JRPGs right before it came out. And it's weird because up until Final Fantasy VII, there weren't many role-playing games at all on the PlayStation. 
uh, that they they kind of died out a little bit for a couple years there. There were a few, but they weren't very good. And everyone's like, "No, oh, if you're looking for good RPGs, you know, keep your Super Nintendo or get your Sega CD, and you get the working designs games." Like, there's the 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 PlayStation was not a system that people said get for RPGs. And then finally, yeah, there, there just wasn't much anyway. I mean, there it, it you know, like I said, JRPGs were were pretty niche. I think the the best thing going for the PlayStation at the time was like Wild Arms, uh, as far as like a JRPG goes, and uh, once publish or once uh, once the publishers saw that JRPGs JRPG sold with Final Fantasy VII, then the floodgates really opened, and that's when we got all of those really awesome uh, JRPGs that would have probably only stayed in Japan if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VII. Um, but yeah, before that, I mean, we got basically nothing. Did we even get like Ark the Lad over here? I don't think we did at the time, although I think we got the sequel. Um, but you know that that's. Even if it did come out, I wouldn't have played it. Like I, I was, I was waiting for a really yeah. good JRPG. And Final Fantasy VII came out; it was great. Yeah. And then there were a whole bunch of other, you know, one-shot JRPGs or, or other ones that came out even for Super Nintendo at that time. Earthbound was later on. It was a lot of great, you know, JRPGs, but it was just too many, and they take way too long. I mean, again, up up to this point, uh, a quote long JRPG was, you know. 30 hours and i think really with the playstations where you start finding finding jrpgs that were oh no it's it's 100 hours that's the standard for jrpgs now that's what we do <laughs> yeah. um and so so there was just a whole bunch that came out a lot of them even by square in fact so final fantasy 8 was coming out and everyone's like oh this is gonna be great and it looked really pretty it was it was more realistic looking than 7 was um i don't know if you've, any of you have played the playstation game uh the playstation final fantasies recently specifically on the playstation version but they have not aged incredibly well they have some astoundingly long load times uh, a lot of the graphics are especially on some of the overworld areas almost unintelligible in parts um, but they still play well and i still do like playing them i, I just recently played through nine uh, again and I, I loved it but eight i i don't know <laughs> if it was just well i know what it was and and now i can define it at the time i couldn't define why i didn't enjoy it i thought it was just i didn't like the characters but truthfully most rpgs i kind of don't like the characters or at least most of them and there's always one or two you think are cool but most of them are kind of whiny or whatever but but eight it was like i thought i hated all the characters i didn't care about the story uh, i i just never got into it and I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a break from JRPGs because this one just never hooked me. I probably played 10 hours of it and I just, I didn't like it and I couldn't, I couldn't understand it in a lot of ways. And I still think it's kind of a mess uh, technically uh, as far as the, the whole way the game puts everything together uh, for your, your, the actual game mechanics. But at the time, I couldn't really put my head around why I didn't like it. So I, I gave up. I didn't play it for a long time. Uh, then I, like I said, I got back into JRPGs for Final Fantasy XII, and then I've tried to play Final Fantasy VIII at least four times since then. Most recently, I bought it for the Vita, and you know, I, I, I was like, I'm determined. I've had this damn game for this is the fourth time I've bought this game now in some way, or shape, or fashion, and I'm gonna finish it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plow through it. And I, I was trying to get you guys to do an episode on this, but I knew. No one else wanted to play Final Fantasy VIII again, but this has given us a cause to do it. So now I can tear <laughs> apart this thing that I've I've pieced together exactly all the things I hate about it. I, it was really weird when it came out. You know, it was it got really good reviews. Uh, there were were some critique uh, in some of those reviews that mentioned the gameplay and things like that. But by and large, I think, you know, when it came out, it got really good reviews. It was definitely like nines. And, you know, I, I know I definitely saw a few perfects uh, here and there. Uh, so when I played it, you know, I was like, OK, well, you know, this is totally the sequel, uh, you know, a better sequel uh, 
or uh, just a better game than what Final Fantasy VII was. And I was expecting a more refined game than what Final Fantasy VII was. So I played it, and about, uh, I, I don't know, maybe about five, ten hours in, I just, there was something about it that I just did not care for. I mean, obviously, we'll go into the, the gameplay and things like that. Uh, there's some things I, I do like and, and, and genuinely think is, is still really good for a Final Fantasy game. But they, I, I think this is one of the very few Final Fantasies that really tried to deviate from the Final Fantasy formula and tried to make things different. And I can appreciate that. But I think they just maybe went a bit too far in, in, how, in how they went about it. Because once you start playing this game, there are so many things, so many little things here and there that bring it down that it just creates this this whole point of this this whole thing of why well, I I just don't really want to play this anymore because it's just not very fun to play. Well, it's it's an easily breakable system uh, because they 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 try to do a lot. We'll we'll get into the tech the, the mechanics in one second. Um, I I want to start with the first thing I don't like about this game is the the general uh, background. I thought, and this was my complaint with Final Fantasy VII at first, that it was futuristic. I really want my, I liked all my JRPGs to be specifically fantasy based. Uh, you know, I, I like dragons and I like magic and all these other things. And so Final Fantasy VII came out and it was kind of like, oh, good, I'm riding on trains and I, I've got a character with a gun <laughs> and all these. And, but I still liked it in Final Fantasy VII, but it was definitely like, eh, I hope this opens up and becomes more of a traditional RPG. And it does. Final Fantasy VII did that uh, a little bit later in the game. But 8, on the other hand, feels like they were even more like, no, you know all that? I, I don't want to do any fun. This is a, a completely devoid of fun. This is a, a kind of a futuristic, post-apocalyptic in some way world. Uh, also, you all start in a school. So you're a bunch of students. You have to wander around and take a test. And, all, and I was like, man, this sucks. <laughs> I hate, I mean, you know, I, it gave you, the one thing that, that having everyone be a student cuts out, which is nice, is the the requirement to kind of find your your party and figure out why everyone's hanging out together uh, but you know what almost every game finds a way to do that that's maybe a little bit awkward but who cares because it gets the group together and it works out just fine i'm you know and see this was like the one thing that i i just mentioned i literally just mentioned that i thought was actually kind of uh fun was that the the, the whole school part uh at the beginning of the game uh, where you're you're training to be these soldiers and everything like that. I thought it was kind of neat. You know, it was well fleshed out. It felt like a school. You had like this little computer system you could go onto and and read email. And they've got like their own little blog that's that's kind of updated here and there. Uh, it, it it just it it had a a nice uh, nice setting to to like you said figure out your characters and and get to know them. Uh, you really felt like a student. And I guess uh, if you don't want to feel like a student, then you probably wouldn't like that at all. Um, but that's one of the, the few good memories I, I really had about like playing the game uh, was just that whole setting, the whole beginning, um, and, and just th that whole kind of high school setting, which was popular back then. You know, you kind of had the whole Buffy the Vampire Slayer stuff back then and um, the whole teen melodrama, which is, you know, literally the entire game of Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, so it kind of worked well uh, at, at the beginning there, and I, I was kind of hooked at that point. I was just like, you know, this is this could be this could turn out to be really good. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of the game happened after that. You know, I'd like to point out, I just complained about a game where you play as students. Yet, I also about ten minutes ago just said, 
that Persona 4 is one of the best JRPGs of all time. I cannot explain why <laughs> I feel the way I feel. This is just who I am. But I cannot, st- I cannot stand the, the school environment in this game. Uh, maybe it's because there aren't enough awkward dating encounters that they are in Persona 4. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But it was just, it just felt like it, it, it worked for getting everyone together, and it worked for teaching the mechanics. But I just, I, it just dragged on for me. Even this most recent playthrough, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to be done with this school. I'm, I'm tired of it. And the other thing I didn't like, and I can't explain why I don't like this because in theory this is a good idea, but the fact that you had you didn't have to, but you could get cars and drive around the the overworld map, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. So you get to the school and they're like, here, get this car to go to the like the test dungeon, but there's only one way to go. So you just follow the only road <laughs> and it's like a block and a half and you get out of the car. I'm like, this is pointless garbage. Why do I have to get a car for this? Uh, so if I got past the intro piece in the school and then you get outside, the overworld map in this game is terrible oh man that overworld map oh <laughs> that was the first uh yeah that was that was really the first kind of uh, thing for me that was just like i don't you know the, the final fantasy 7 open world map is is an all-time classic you know that was just fun to walk around and explore but yeah you get on that one it, it is just a vast expanse of nothing and it, it you really felt just how much nothing was there it's a lot of nothing, and, and it feels like it was hard for me to orient myself. I know you have a mini-map at the bottom, and it should be really easy, but it was just like I constantly couldn't figure out where the hell I was going, what I was supposed to be looking for. And again, part of that's that that the graphics have not aged incredibly well, so there are parts where honestly I was like, oh, that's a dungeon? How the hell would I have known that? It looked like a hill. But that's just, you know, that's something I just have to deal with going back to PS1 level graphics in, in 2017, I guess. But but it was still just like it was hard for me to orient where I was going. And a lot of the time, especially when you get to kind of the midpoint of the game where you're allowed to wander around and figure things out, I was getting to, to quote, new towns, and I'd walk in and I was like, wait, I was in this town like 20 hours ago. Where the hell am I? How does this world fit together? When you eventually get an airship and you can kind of piece things together and you realize, here's my overworld map that I can I can make static, where I don't have to worry about what direction's what. This is a world yes. on a map. And I could figure out all the pieces together. Then I was like, oh, I see. I still hate the map, but at least it made sense at that point. But it, a map should make sense before about the 34-hour mark, and it really drives me nuts that it didn't. And maybe it's just me, but I, I, I could not stand that map. I think it should go without saying that if, if you are a fan of Final Fantasy VIII um, and listening to this podcast... <laughs> You might as well just turn it off now. Um, I tried. Listen, it's not me. Yes, I agree. I have tried many. You know, I tried twice. I didn't try as many times as you because by the second time I tried, I was just like, this just just isn't for me. Um, And it actually shocks me just how many people to this day really, really love this game. Um, You know, they they have really broken it down into just about every piece and, and tried to defend it. You know, for how how amazing it is, and that's fine. I, you know, you if you like Final Fantasy VIII, that's great. Um, but you know, for me, it just didn't work out. Obviously, for Jeremy, it didn't. But so, if, don't don't hate on us just because we didn't care for this game. Uh, you might want to just go ahead and turn the podcast off now if you're expecting much more but look, positive I, I'm to be said about I'm going to explain why I don't like it. It's not just, oh, man, Squall is lame and a gun blade. How stupid is that? I mean, those are true oh, statements. Squall's totally lame, though. But, yeah, the characters are, are hateable. Generally, everyone in this game is hateable. Uh, the, the decisions made lack any sort of sense. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to complain about spoilers on a game from 1999, but, but there's a point where... Everything in the game screams, hey, this person's possessed. You might not want to take it to where this giant evil witch lives. And you do exactly <laughs> that. 
you do it in the dumbest fashion possible. Uh, you go into space at one point. Like the game is all over the place. That's that, that's the story itself and the characters are nonsense. And, and it all it's like you get to a certain point and you're trying to figure out. And, and this is a big. I guess it's supposed to be like a big turning point in the story for you, or at least a big reveal. But for me, it was, and for most people. It's a groan-worthy moment, possibly the most groan-worthy moment in any role-playing game. So here's a major story spoiler for everyone that is not at the 20-hour mark in Final Fantasy VIII and really <laughs> wants to be. You should turn this off. Jeremy's right. Uh, you get to a certain point, you're like, how is it possible that these people don't remember anything? How is it possible that everyone seems to have come from like the same area? They know all these same people. They've, they've grown up knowing these these areas every time they get somewhere new they're like i kind of think i know this place you're like what is, how is this going on how does everyone not know what's going on and the story is basically that the game mechanic that you use to get all your powers also causes memory loss so it totally explains <laughs> why you don't know you all grew up in the same stupid orphanage and that the person that you've been fighting this whole time was actually the person who raised you in the orphanage and it was like what this is awful i hate Man, this but- that that orphanage, I it, when when that came up, even as a kid, you know, I, I wasn't expecting five star storytelling. I, I really enjoyed high fantasy kind of crazy sci fi um, video game plot lines back then. Uh, I, I even as as little as Final Fantasy seven made it made sense at some point. I really still enjoyed it. The, the whole story throughout. But uh, Final Fantasy eight, when when it hit that orphanage. I it was all I could do just not to sit there and just be like, are you kidding me? Uh, it just I could not believe that of all things, Final Fantasy would would stoop to that sort of plot point of just of how convenient it was, uh, just how little it made sense of they. OK, like you want to bring all of this together, all of this, every single character, all of it in one piece. And that is that is how you explained it. And I just I could not get over it. After that point, I totally lost interest in that story. When I up s- until the the very end, which is a hell of an ending, even though it doesn't make any sense. But still, I, I could not. I I just couldn't deal with it. I still don't think it's necessary. You could have written around that. You could have just said. You could have done a plot summary somewhere and said, "Guys, this this is dumb. This is a dumb plot point. We don't need this. We don't need any of this to get to the end we're trying to get to." I mean, yes, they. It it makes the story work but you could have written that story differently and had the exact same encounters exact same maps exact same everything it would have been a little more uh, make a little more sense but that's okay again a lot of games have garbage storylines I, I just played through final fantasy 15 and, and if it wasn't for the fact that you can read about what's going on on the internet i would have had no idea what the story is <laughs> to that game and i still enjoyed it thoroughly so that that's okay a bad story on its own and unlikable characters on its own don't completely kill a game Right. For me, the so mechanics uh, are what really yes, make this yeah. game. In parts, I, I would end up enjoying this. Like, I would get to a certain area and I'd be like, you know, I really like this mechanic. And literally, like, two minutes later, I'm like, I fucking hate the way this all works out. And it's just too much at once. And this is this is where my problem runs into with this game. Is I guess it's, uh, I don't want to do this level of min-maxing with a game. I don't mind it uh, if it's like an... Uh, an MMO where you have days and days and days of your life wasted where you can really get into the mechanics and really dig into what you need to do to tweak your characters uh, effectively. But this is a very clunky way to, to have a whole lot of variable in what your characters are. So 
you get, uh, you know, your your squall or all your other characters in your party, and everyone has some base stats, and you can use weapons uh, that that do damage to enemies. But but to get any real powers and to do any real damage in this game, and you pretty much have to do this to get anywhere. If you don't, you'll get you know mauled in that first practice dungeon, basically. Um, you you do what's called junctioning, um, which takes one of what would have been summons in the previous Final Fantasies, and you attach it to yourself. And that gives you the ability to use some of their abilities to, to summon them, for example, in combat. Uh, but they also modify all your stats. Again, it seems really basic, and you're like, okay. However, when you junction these characters to your character, or these, these uh, espers to your character, then they also sometimes let you take materia that you find, the spell uses and things that you'll collect when you're fighting, and, and then attach that to your own stats. So you'll get some, some Esper that you'll junction to yourself, and, and it's, it also lets you, you know, burst your strength up by attaching you know, a fire spell to your strength. And the more fire spells that you have in inventory, and I'll get to that in a second, the higher <laughs> and higher that stat goes. Okay, that doesn't seem so bad, except that the only way to get these fire spells that you'll have in your inventory, you can either find them uh, in little springs in the ground, and, and that'll get you a handful of spells, but it's not incredibly useful. But the way you do most, uh, the way you get most of your abilities is by going into combat, and instead of actually doing damage to an enemy, you let them hit you over and over again while you use the draw ability. Draw lets you go and, and it selects you know a handful of different materia uh, that you can pull from those characters. So you can let's say you fight a bat and the bat will uh, will let you you draw you know fire and dark. And so you can take a fire and it's like you pulled six fires and you can hold up to ninety nine fires on each character. So each character is going to draw a whole bunch of each thing. And and I guess in theory, if if you're going to try to play this game quickly, do a speed run, then you would just kind of maximize and say okay fine every. All the fires I get, I'll have everyone give to Squall. And that way he'll get 99 fires real quick, and then we'll just move on from that. He'll use a fire when he needs to, but we'll make sure we replenish them quickly. Um, but instead, the way I ended up having to do this is you would just try to get everybody 99 of every single spell. So you just sit there in combat and draw over and over and over and over again to making each of the most, you know, each combat very dull and very boring, and you would just draw over and over and over again. So you maxed your those materials out. And you did it for each character you had in your group. And then you'd be able to junction multiple espers to your character and that would also allow you to to change all these other stats and make it so you're also immune to different uh elements based on what elements you put in those things this sounds very confusing i'm sure i'm explaining it incredibly bad incredibly poorly but i think i'm explaining it better than the manual does because <laughs> i i still don't really have a great grip on how to be super effective with the system without just saying fine i'm gonna just grind and 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 stockpile every one of these goddamn things for the rest of time no, I think, I mean, really about the only way, the, the best way to describe it is that Final Fantasy VIII's battle system is just completely junk. It is broken at, at a very fundamental level. Uh, and as soon as you introduce that whole draw mechanic into the game, uh, that's literally what you, you're doing. You're just, um, you're, you're making these, you're drawing these battles out uh, in a way that it's, it's not fun. You're, you're just sitting here drawing over and over and over uh, until you can max out the, the the amount of spells that you can have, which I think is what, what 99, 100 yeah, 99 um, per character, um, and that was that was it wasn't fun, 
you know, it, it's supposed to replace the whole magic mechanic uh, of previous Final Fantasies with having MP, magic points, MP, um, and, and have a fresh kind of take on it where you're literally any character can can have those spells before in previous uh, Final Fantasies, it, you know, each character kind of had different spell. You know, they one one character could have fire, another could have ice, something like that. Um, theoretically, in this game, you know, everyone could have different whatever magic spells you want them to have. Um, and and to its credit, you can make some incredible parties like that. Uh, you know, you could really min max this game to the point where like you can just destroy everyone. Um, just, you know, with a couple of characters, but the way you have to go about it is probably the least fun it's ever been in a final fantasy game. And that's not even mentioning, uh, the, the espers, I guess themselves, uh, that, you know, in previous final fantasy games, uh, those were the things that came down and, and did massive damage. You know, you use them maybe like once a battle and this game, it seemed like you were using them a lot. And, uh, since uh, since Square was totally enthralled with what they could create in, in Final Fantasy VII with those amazing summons and everything like that, uh, you know, and how long they could be, it was cool in Final Fantasy VII. But when you're using them over and over and over again throughout the same battle in Final Fantasy VIII, I mean, some of these can go up to a minute long and you cannot fast forward them. Uh, it just becomes a re- every battle becomes a, just an incredible slog, even with the easiest of enemies, because sometimes you want to draw out some spells and that takes time. Other times you want to use your summon and that takes way too long. And there, it, it's just it, it's incredible just how boring and, and just overly tedious uh, a JRPG battle system can get. Uh, and Final Fantasy VIII is, is a perfect example of that. Yeah, it, it's. Instead of having the magic bar, uh, magic points or whatever, even a limit on summons, like you can summon once a day or whatever the the mechanic is for the role-playing game you're playing at the time. This game, instead, as long as you're... When you summon an Esper to to fight for you in combat, instead of um, your own health bar, it switches their health bar during that time. So during the the build-up while you see the the summon bar growing, if an enemy attacks that... that, uh, attacks you during that time it actually hurts the esper's life so as long as the esper has any life left you can continuously summon it over and over and over and over and and you want to because your your best spells at the time outside of the you know ultima and and probably like the fireaga and the the strongest elemental spells are only going to do like 100 points of damage you're like oh i cast fire even if you cast it three times in a row you're like i did 300 damage or i can summon this this ifrit and he'll do 1200 and I can summon him over and over and over again. And the only difference is the summoning time, which mm-hmm. as you use these espers and they earn points, they earn their own experience as well as you do. And you use those experience points uh, to, to pick ahead of time. Experience goes towards this stat for him. And most of them have a speed up ability where the, the more you use them and the more you put points into that, they'll be faster and faster. I mean, by the time uh, I was at you know the, the third disc on this, with the Afrit specifically, it was like the summoning time was almost instantaneous. I was able to just be like, I want to fire something this fire guy a hundred times. And I could do so. Except that you have to watch the entire yes. summon, like Jeremy said, over and over again. And yes, there was definitely some fights. I'd have all three people on my team summon a different Esper. And I would put the uh, the Vita down, because I'm playing it on Vita. And I would go <laughs> off and do something else for three minutes. Because I knew for three minutes I could do nothing. 
and it didn't matter what happened to me. Either I was going to die if they managed to do enough damage to cancel my espers, or I was going to do an F ton of damage, but I had to sit there for three minutes and watch it. So it's like, all right, I'll put that on, and I'll go make a hot dog or whatever, because <laughs> what else am I going to do? And that that's that's where I was like, okay, you know, the, the summons look cool the first time, and there were some summons that were even neat like the tenth time, but yeah, the the it it was too much. Uh, too too long for all those summons and the fact that they were so much more powerful than your regular attacks but you could use them over and over again uh, was an easily breakable part of the game the the other piece of this game that or the, the the summon mechanic is there's a summon you can earn that uh, I think you have to get it it's the the three-headed dog yeah you have to get it it's, it's you get it as part of the main story and when you use his summon ability instead of doing damage to the enemy he gives everyone in your party like haste and the ability to, to cast three spells at a time. Mm-hmm. So you'll go super fast, and if you're having a tough fight, and this is what I did for every boss fight, basically, from that <laughs> point on, if I wasn't going to summon over and over again, I would just make sure one person had ultimas or deaths or whatever was the thing I needed to use, and I would just give them triple with that one summon, and then I would just be like, fine, here's three ultimas. And it would do enough damage to kill almost everything. And it made it so most fights are trivial until you hit the boss fights where it's not, and you just get creamed. And then you have to go back out, and you got to do some sort of grinding again to, you know, get your regular levels up or, or you know, tweak your espers or figure out exactly what spells and things you need to change yourself. But again, at that point, it's almost like it punishes you for taking the easy way out of doing summons over and over again because once you get stuck, you're like, well, now what the hell do I do? My regular tactic of just summoning things 85 times didn't work. Uh, I guess I'll wander around on this terrible world map. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever else, you know, it was, it definitely still doesn't sit well the way the whole game fits together for, for the way that the espers are. Because you can definitely, you know, build a party that it's almost unstoppable until you get to the last few boss fights. And then again, if you weren't playing right, you're screwed. One of the other pieces that makes this difficult is that, and, and I don't know if this was done to continue to make it difficult if you really knew what you were doing, or or what but the game scales difficulty based on your level yes so yeah. if, you, if you're level nine and you fight a boss or you're level 19 and fight that same boss it's almost equally difficult like it, they scale up to match your your abilities i hate that i hate that a lot in any game that does that i mean i, I don't need a game where i can totally overpower it with two levels like a uh, ease is a great example of that ease ease is a series where You'll you'll be getting your butt kicked, and you gain two levels, and all of a sudden you're overpowered, and you're destroying everything. This this isn't that bad, but but it felt like, you know, I I don't want to level. I don't want to kill all these things and grind out here because I want to hit this boss at level nine. I want to finish the game at level nineteen. Like I don't want to go up to that next tier of destruction, uh, especially if you look online at the guides and you realize that their whole spell, you know, everyone's abilities change when you fight the harder versions of them, but you still get from point A to point B without worrying about the leveling. A bad mechanic. I don't know if it's what the reason no, I mean, is there it, for it. But it it's is. I mean, mechanic. it's it's one of those things. Like you know, one of the best things about a JRPG is uh, being able to completely <laughs> overlevel yourself. If you you know if you want to or not. Um, and that really goes a long way in uh, even just speeding up the game. Sometimes you know if if you don't have some sort of item or trinket to kind of make those uh, random encounters faster. Um, being overleveled or, or leveling up above uh, what most enemies are on the map, you know, you can just b- b- breeze through a, g- a good chunk of the game way fast. Um, 
or, or just, you know, getting to a point A to point B, if, if you're decent enough with your characters, you can just totally destroy what you're fighting. Um, Final Fantasy VIII, you don't really get that option. Everything kind of stays the same. And it, it also kind of adds on top of that uh, just how long it takes for just a, a normal normal battle to happen. So you're never really you never really feel like you're super super strong when you fight anything in that game. Uh, and and on top of that, it's just you're sitting there with the the same animations, the same Esper uh, summons, everything like that. So it it just really makes it seem like it's even longer than what it actually should be. But I, I do it, it just the way it does its leveling. I I did not did not like that at all. It it just didn't seem like it was necessary. Um, that was if that was maybe maybe the one thing that they kept from the previous Final Fantasies, the whole leveling aspect. Instead of changing it and doing this this auto level thing where everything kind of levels with you, I think maybe the battles would have been easier to handle. But at some point, they just become such a slog that uh, I I just got bored of just playing it. I, it, it just I don't want to play the game anymore with with how it does with how long it takes just to get from point A to point B. Well, yeah, especially in the overworld map, it seems like the the yes, random encounter yeah. rate is offensive. Um, you can get into a car and avoid those encounters, but it means you have to buy a car and in some places drive it like out through this weird city scape. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. I, I hate that part. I do. I do have one question for you though, and I've never been able to figure this out. Um, how the hell do limit breaks work in this game? Because I mean, in, in in Final Fantasy VII, you know, the more damage you do, you you would eventually get a limit break where you do a, a powerful attack. Is it just fucking random in this game? Like I could never figure this it out. It happens as you get hurt when you're in uh, like a critical state. You'll you'll be able to do your limit break. So it it's what? almost like when you're at the last, it's your last ditch effort to come out of something is to do your limit break in, in eight. Um, oh. Nine kind of continues that trend, but instead of being... Um, it, it, go, it kind of is a blend between seven and eight because it, it seems to be based on when you get hit, but it's such a long, slow buildup, and it's not, it's not controllable. Like, okay, so in, in seven, when you want to do your limit break in eight as well, once you've earned the right to do it, you get to choose, do I want to do my limit break now or not? Mm-hmm. Right, and in this game, it's like you get to a certain point, and instead of attack, you can push to the side, and it's your your limit break ability or whatever. Um, in nine, as soon as you can do it, it just automatically happens, and it turns you into like another state where like you do more damage, and and you're super powerful, but you can't control whether or not it happens. So in nine, uh, it made it so some fights, the whole point was to try to get that up on like grindy fights to just run to a boss and immediately have it happen. Otherwise. Like in a trivial fight, all of a sudden you'd like Hulk out. Like, oh no, no, I don't want to Hulk out now. And you, like, I killed a bat. This was <laughs> yeah. dumb. So there's no control in nine, but at least it was. It made a little more sense than when you do it compared to eight. You could see the bar build up, but yeah, eight. It's it's based on when when you're extremely hurt. I want to say it's it might even be like 15 percent of health or under or something, and it may be variable, but it, it definitely is as you are at at the last ditch effort, you can do your limit break. But generally, the limit breaks are not that good. The summons really are are the most yeah, powerful I, thing you have in this it game. It was actually kind of shocking. You know, when, when the limit break first showed up, I was like, holy shit, there's limit breaks in this game. Um, but yeah, the you generally don't get that low anyway for the most part. Uh, but I was just always kind of confused. You know, when they did show up, I was like, oh yeah, this is a thing, you know, but it, it definitely does not work the same as, as Final Fantasy VII. And even when you get down that low, it didn't seem like it would just trigger, auto, you know, at, at a certain point. Yeah, I, maybe there is a certain percentage that it happens, but there were definitely times where I got down to like 
uh, it seemed like 10% and it was still not triggering. So I, I don't know if I was just doing something wrong or if I wasn't looking at it right or what, but it, it definitely seemed like it was just more random uh, than I would prefer for something like a limit break to be. Well, and, and again, because of how the summons work, the fact that they do so much damage and the fact that your health bar changes to the summons health bar as soon as you decide you want to summon yes, something. Yeah. Most of the time, my characters were either full or dead. Like, there wasn't a lot of times my regular characters were anywhere near <laughs> near the lowest point of the level, unless I was just screwed anyway. And then again, limit breaks, and maybe it's because I didn't level my characters up high enough, I don't know, but were never that impressive. It was better to just say, I'm going to summon a weaker Esper that I have, you know, tied, jumped yeah. into me. Even if it only does a 500 damage, it's better than the extra 20 I'm going to do with my limit break. But yeah, no, that, that was definitely... Um, almost a forgettable mechanic. I wasn't even thinking about limit breaks on this because they're so unimportant. Um, the the other story piece that I forgot to mention that that I think might be the most irritating part of the story is the flashback sections where you switch who you're playing. Like out of nowhere, you're like going to convulsions in the mm -hmm. story, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're this other party, and they they can use the same espers you have, and they you can then give them the same magics you have and everything else, but it. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, later on, they, they explain it in the story why these things happen. But at the time, I'm like, why is this happening? And I hate that in games. Any game where I, all of a sudden the party I have switches to another party of characters that I don't really have control over. It's one thing if it's like you get seven people in your party and there's parts where you split up and you have to manage both groups. I'm okay with that. But this was just like out of nowhere. I'm like, I want the story to progress. And all of a sudden, it's like, no, no, I'm back in time. And they're at some <laughs> bar listening to some lady sing. And I don't understand any of what's going on. I hate this. And it, it does... Again, it does explain later what all that is, but again, totally unnecessary. A flashback movie would have been a better use of my time than making me play through those pe those sections. And even the whole solution to you know why you were doing that and and how that turns about, you know, it just kind of seemed as about as lame as what the orphanage was. Uh, it just seemed too convenient and uh, just like ah, well, whatever. You know, I, I kind of saw that coming from from a mile away, but you know, whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty, pretty hateable. Uh, I would like to say the things I do like about Final Fantasy VIII. Um, I do think that it is a pretty game for a PlayStation era game. I like the summons. The first five times you do each one is uh, actually pretty cool. I think the summons are you could tell they spent all their time and effort on on a lot of those summons because they look really cool. Mm -hmm. The music is not bad. Uh, I mean, there's a few themes that are obnoxious, but it's not bad music. Um, I love Triple Triad, the card game that's completely a <laughs> yes. throwaway mechanic. Uh, that's actually more fun than the game itself. The best uh, reason to play Final Fantasy VIII is a collectible card game. Uh, yeah. it, it really is. You, you, you not only that, there will be some abilities you build, you get to, to point points into in, in one of the espers that lets you turn enemies you're fighting into cards that yeah. you then use, uh, along with just trying to... You, you get a so, so Triple Triad is introduced to you early on in the game where someone hands you like a deck of cards and it's like, here, you want to play this game? And they give you like a basic, you get five cards total you can pick from. And it's it's the simplest game on the planet at first. There's nine spots on the board and, and you, you put your character down. There's four numbers, one on each side of the card. And if the card you put next to a card has a higher number than the card that you've put next to, you take that card for you. And, and they can chain, so it's like if you take... Uh, a card that's equally numbered to another card next to it, and you put it put it there, it'll turn that card and the card next to it, if it's still powerful. That and it, anyway, it, it it's a pretty simple game mechanic that later on they add a lot of other rules and confusing things to make it a little more difficult. But man, I, I played more Triple Triad than anything else that I did in this game that I enjoyed at least. Like I I would spend 
days just going through the same areas and challenging random people until I found people who would play me in cards and make sure I won every one of their cards. And I'd go to the next place and do the same thing. And uh, that, that, that by itself, honestly, almost made me play the game to the finish just to play that card game in different cities. Yeah, I think it goes a long way in saying like when they added that to uh, Final Fantasy XIV, uh, that actually became my favorite thing about that game as well. Uh, just Triple Triad is a, a great, simple card game. And, and you know, it may not be as, as good as like something like Gwent or anything like that. But, you know, just just for how simple and fun and easy it is to understand, uh, it it really kind of just takes away from a, a little bit from the slog of that game. Uh, since you can kind of just find people to play it with. Um, and it, I, I kind of wish the whole game on, on its own kind of took took a little bit from Triple Triad for just being something that starts off very simple. Um, the, the rules are easy to understand, and as it goes along, it becomes uh, more strategic. It, it, does, it seems like Final Fantasy VIII, the whole gameplay loop of that game, is the exact opposite of that. It starts out with literally everything thrown at you, uh, it can be very hard to understand. There's just the whole uh, draw system, the Esper system, just everything that you can do is just kind of tossed at you all at once. And instead of that becoming more strategic through the rest of the game, that just becomes more of a drag. And the more you play it, it nothing really opens up. It just continues to be the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, it, it makes the game longer. It makes the game more boring. makes the game more tedious. And I, I think that's one of the things that, that the best Final Fantasies don't do uh, as far as their gameplay loop. They they start off simple. The longer the game goes on, it's it's easier to deal with. And Final Fantasy VIII is literally the exact opposite of that. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to change as you go through. I mean, you, you can learn how to tweak that system and break the system and make some things that are a kind of unstoppable chains. But at the same time, it it feels like you never get rid of the even the mechanics that are kind of, you know, seem pointless and useless you still have to do all those things and you have to constantly monitor and change your your espers around to really be as effective as possible uh it, it just makes the game kind of a drag and the fact that the story you're going through is complete nonsense doesn't help by any means uh i will say this is um this is the last time i'm going to play final fantasy 8 for the foreseeable future <laughs> uh, i've made it all the way to the very end of the game i've gotten through all the parts I got stuck at before, uh, which were not far, uh, the the most the farthest I had gotten before this playthrough was I want to say on disc two, when you're at the military installation, and you're trying to uh, get get some of your party to to go to the other lamb uh, Balam Garden or whatever to save them, and the other part are going there to stop a missile from being launched or some stupid un, unimportant story piece, and I got there and it's just it's the most boring dungeon. And it's got, like, stealth parts in it. I'm like, I hate this. I don't want to play this. I got lost. I couldn't figure out where I was going. Uh, and it turns out the way, like, it was like there was a ladder I just couldn't see that was there. And I, I was like, oh, I'm stupid. I've been in this room a hundred times. I just never got through it. So I did. I plowed through that this time. I got through the parts where you go to space, uh, which, unfortunately, are true. Uh, and that, that's, again, where it's like, why would you do this? And, the, the, again, that's when the story kind of, you know, tries to make sense again. But it's still just like, this is there's too many things going on. This is... A completely ridiculous, unbelievable story. Not that any Final Fantasy is believable, but this one's just like this is this is awful. You know, the, the, just a, essentially everything you're doing is just to stop a, a sorceress that can possess people through time, and all she wants to do is stop time and 
use that to destroy the universe or something. I don't even really understand, but it doesn't matter. I got to the very end dungeon. And here's a fun fact for anyone out there who bought this game on Vita or has a Vita in general. If you're going to increase the memory of your Vita and you buy the 64 meg memory card or whatever it is, is you find and you transfer all your games to it uh, just by re-downloading them, you can transfer your saves onto their uh, onto the, the Sony network and it transfers your saves over. That does not include any of the PlayStation Classics uh, or oh the PSP my. games. That's only that. four games that were built for the Vita and therefore can use that cloud-saving technique. So I lost all my saves uh, on Final Fantasy VIII, IX, Tactics, uh, every game I've downloaded for the PlayStation uh, that I play on the Vita. But this is the only one that that means I will never, ever, ever play it again. And I'll never finish <laughs> it. Now, technically, I have a little memory card. I could I could pull it out and plug it in and let it rebuild and... And play Final Fantasy VIII, but that's not worth it. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I've, I've watched now the rest of the game. Uh, admittedly, that last dungeon does not look nearly as bad as some of the previous. Uh, but I'm completely content saying that I gave this game more than a fair shake. Uh, four, uh, at least two honest attempts to play all the way through. And probably 50 attempts to play through before that that were just failed before the end of disc one. And I can say without a doubt, despite my other games in the series, for example, Final Fantasy X was one that I hated. I hated Final Fantasy X. Now it's grown on me. It's become one of my favorites. Uh, even thirteen. I honestly started playing thirteen again the other day just to see if it's as bad as I remember. And it kind of is. But it's nowhere near as bad as eight. Eight is unfun. And if you really like eight, I mean, I'd like to say send us an email and tell us about it, but honestly, it's not going to change my mind at this point. There's nothing anyone can tell me about 8 that's going to change my opinion on it being kind of a mess and kind of clunky and fully unenjoyable for me. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if you do really like Final Fantasy 8, again, we're not really, we're, we're not dumping on you at all. It's, it's There's definitely a lot of people that love that game. Um you know, nostalgia is a, a hell of a thing. Uh, but for anyone that's really trying to play uh, a, a JRPG or just wanting to kind of get into a Final Fantasy game uh, these days, Final Fantasy VIII would literally be the last game that I would tell them to play because it is, it, it's just not what I consider a, a good Final Fantasy game. Maybe if it was some weird spinoff, maybe if it was its own game, but if you're going to put that Final Fantasy name in front of that and then put a number a, a number after that, this is this is not a, a good Final Fantasy game. Probably least favorite entire series. There are a lot of games that I think this game would be great if they called it something else. And I just don't like it because it's not what I think fits in this series. Um, Resident Evil 5 is a good example. I don't like yeah. Resident Evil 5, but... Uh, but I don't think it's a bad game. If if it would have just been called like, I don't know, Jungle Zombies Four or something, I would have thought it was okay. <laughs> That's I don't know. the game it needs to be. <laughs> but but I thought as Resident Evil was like, man, Resident Evil Four was cool. It had it, it was definitely different than the others, but I enjoyed it. But this one just feels like an arcade game, and not I'm not I'm not liking it. This is one of the few games I think people only like and remember fondly because they forced themselves to play it a bunch because it was Final Fantasy, and I think if it came out under any other name. Uh, gun sword adventures or something people would have thought this is stupid and i hate this and i <laughs> i'd love to feel differently i again almost all the other final fantasies i have not cared for at first uh had have turned on me and, and i've grown to really like them but but this one just 
It's it's never going to click. I have to move on and decide that if, at, at this point I'm 40 years old. It's never going to click. I'm glad we had this podcast so that you can actually you can move on from this. This is this is what we needed. And and I swear to God, if I ever see you playing Final Fantasy VIII again on the PSN friends list, uh, we're going to have to have an intervention because this is uh, this is as good a place as any to cut your losses. Final Fantasy VIII, not a great game. Let's let's move on to something better, like Final Fantasy XII, uh, which, like you were talking about, I am looking forward to playing because I've never played before. I know I know it's a very divisive Final Fantasy game, but I guarantee I will have more fun playing Final Fantasy XII. Uh, than Final Fantasy VIII. Yes, I, I think all the problems that people have with twelve, uh, I can see for the most part. It definitely, if you don't like MMOs, you will not like Final Fantasy XII. But I think I would say the same thing about Final Fantasy thirteen and Final Fantasy fifteen specifically. That if you don't like the the kind of idea where your other party, the other characters in your party, you don't really manage, then you will not enjoy twelve. That said, I think it has aged very well. I think the tweaks they've made in this, like I said earlier. Uh, are outstanding and, and maybe that's what I need I need a Final Fantasy 8 remaster with new classes and then I'd be all about it but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now I don't want that don't don't put your time and effort <laughs> into that square just go ahead and and I don't know give me 15 2 where a bunch of girls come out and do a dance or something like x2 that would be fine do whatever you want to <laughs> do I'm in for that uh, but yeah. uh, actually x2 is the only other one I haven't really forced myself to play through uh, but I the little bit I did play far better than eight so I'm going to I'll go. That's what I'll do before I play eight again. I'm going to finish X2. And since that's never going to happen, I'm never going to play a it much again. better game to, to work through. That is uh, that is essentially just a Final Fantasy Jim uh, and the Holograms adventures. So that is already way better than Final Fantasy eight ever was. So there you have it. There's our opinions on Final Fantasy VIII, which are probably the ones you expected that we had based on previous things we've mentioned about Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, but that's not what we feel about Super Bass Pro or <laughs> whatever it was we were supposed to play. That we're not. Uh, you know, we apologize for those those eight people from from last last uh, podcast that was really looking forward to Super Black Bass. Um, unfortunately, you know that we we that was kind of a. a a game that we were uh, that Billy was was way into. I'm also way into it myself. Um, but unfortunately, since Billy wasn't here, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that um, we're just uh, we're going to go ahead and maybe save that one. So so what game are we going to do do next then? So unless somehow episode 52 ends up being super black bass, I think we're going to do flashback. That's one you had mentioned you you really want to do. I I honestly don't think I've played this, and, and I'm sure I'll change my mind five minutes in. And I'm like, wait, I've played this before, uh, but I, can't I don't believe, believe I've played that it. you have not played Flash. If you literally say you've never played Flashback, I, I it, it would almost be completely hard for me to believe. Well, I mean, I've I've probably said worse things. Um, here's one: <laughs> I've actually never finished and played more than ten minutes of Final Fantasy VI. So there's something oh, for you that oh I'll have my to get goodness. into. Jeez. It's not that I don't like it. I knew I, I know I like it. I, I played just enough to be like, I need to get back to this, and then I never did, and I it's shameful. Uh, and part of that's because I don't have the Super Nintendo cart, uh, and and I really, really don't like the remake, the way the graphics are on it. Oh, no, uh, that's terrible. So I, I'm just going to have to force myself to play it on an emulator at some point. Uh, that's my little bit of shame uh, related to Final Fantasy, other than that I've, I've played eight now, five unsuccessful major attempts, but whatever. Uh... <laughs> 
So since our 50th episode, uh, there's been a little bit of retro news that is uh, kind of unexpected. I guess I'm not enough into the classic, classic retro scene to to have known this was coming. Uh, But uh, the Atari box is coming out (laughs) soon. Now, there aren't a whole lot of details on exactly what the Atari box is, in fact. But there are some, some, I guess, prototypes out there to show what they look like. Uh, I don't know if you you took a lot of time to look at those, Jeremy, but they they, they just kind of look like a... Like they're just going to plug into your TV in some way, shape, or form, and they have a bunch of plugins for what I assume are classic Atari controllers. Uh, and I think it's all going to be digitally downloaded stuff. I have no idea. They have they have explained nothing on it. But my my thing is, even if it is just a bunch of 2600 and and let's even say 7800 games, is there a market for that? Nope. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I, I mean, maybe like there's like a few people out there that's. Uh, that's kind of crazy about really wanting to play some some Atari 2600 and maybe some some more modern Atari arcade games or something like that on a on a brand new console. Um, but that's uh, that was probably some of the more shocking news to see that there was an Atari box coming out. And you know, if you've seen the console, it's actually kind of neat looking. You know, it's kind of like a, a play on the old um, the 2600, and they've got two different versions of it. They got this kind of uh, black and red. Uh, version. They've also got a wood grain version, uh, but there's no actual cartridge slot to it. This is an all digital system. So even if you have old 2600 games that you've bought for like one cent, at some shady flea market down the road or something, it's not going to work in this. You Whatever they plan to do with this is going to be completely digital. And not only have they, uh, you know, not really announced anything about the system, but they at least did say that it would also it would play classic Atari games along with modern games. Now, what that means is literally anyone's guess. I, I don't think there's too many people out there that is uh, that's expecting the Atari box to compete with the the PS4 and Xbox One or even the Nintendo Switch. Uh, it, you know, at, at best, this could be like something like a, a weird like Android gaming system, um, like Nvidia's little micro console or something like that. Um, you know, if they decide to do anything more than that, you know, it, there's literally it's dead in the water like this literally just if this is going to succeed on any level, this just needs to be it needs to play on nostalgia. And, you know, like kind of like the uh, NES classic and the uh, Super NES classic or whatever. But beyond that, even if it does that, who's going to buy this? I mean, there's. There's still an audience out there that really wants NES and Super NES games. But is there really an audience out there that really wants to buy a brand new Atari box to play, you know, old 2600 games on it? You know, to, to pay to pay five bucks or ten bucks to play these games. It just seems insane. I don't really understand where this is even coming from. It'd be one thing if it did play your carts. Then at least I could say fine. Because I, I do have a box of Atari carts still. and But my Atari is, is actually hooked up to my television. And, and sure. while I don't use it very often, I do use it uh, on occasion. But I don't need to pay, even if that's, let's say it's it's 80 bucks. I don't know. But that's how much the NES Classic would be, right? The, the Super NES Classic uh, is 80 bucks. Let's say it's 80 bucks and it comes with 100 games. It still doesn't seem worth it to me because you can buy the flashback units now at Target for forty bucks, and I think they have hundred games. Yeah, on. the flashback unit already does literally everything you would want this thing to do, as good as this thing could do it. So why? <laughs> I don't know. 
The only other thing I can think of that would make it worth it, because again, the flashback still only has a small portion of the total library. Let's say somehow Atari found the rights to all the games, especially ones that were unlicensed third-party games or whatever at that time, and and Mm -hmm. you get to start with 100, and then they would have packets where it's like, you can download all the Coleco games for five bucks or whatever, right? That that might be appealing. I don't know. Uh, Or... If you're really lucky, not only would it play 2,600, maybe even 7,800 games, maybe you'd finally get that downloadable Atari Jaguar content so everyone can play <laughs> oh Trevor McFur. Because that's what everyone's waiting on, is the Trevor McFur in 2017. You know, if it if it actually lets you play, like, uh, Atari Jaguar game, I would probably actually buy it. Because I, I, I have this weird, sick need to play. It's literally the only console I have never played a game off of. So if they actually had uh, in a, a selection of Atari Jaguar games, I would totally get it. You know, it, even if they would just uh, maybe do like uh, the entirety of, of having their uh, arcade lineup. You know, Atari had a, a pretty decent lineup of, of really crazy arcade games from the 80s and 90s. That would be kind of neat, you know, just to have that. Uh, along with the the entire selection, the entire library of uh, 2,600 games, you know, on up uh, for the you know, the entirety of the, the Atari console, uh, the, the consoles that they had. I think that would be awesome. But still, I, I just don't I, I don't really know how many people would really actually think that's awesome besides me and you. <laughs> well, it, and I I don't even know how also I'd consider that. I think <laughs> I think I, I, would... yeah, I, I mean myself, I'm just like man, I. Just, I'm not sitting here every morning wishing I could play Haunted House, you know, in, in HDs. It's just, it's not anything I'm really wanting. I, I have perfectly viable other ways to play uh, the best that uh, Atari had to offer, which is the flashback system that you could buy for 20 bucks at Target. Well, maybe their market is people who can't find the NES Classic and any Super NES Classic. I, you know, which maybe. They, if that's the I, case, that's, then that's they, about all I can they've think got of. a massive market because those, <laughs> those things are impossible, and I'm never, ever going to see one again. So again, next week will either be Super Black Bass, which will maybe be the, the maybe next week game for the next 35 episodes. Oh, wait, uh, wait, wait. Hold on. You missed the best news story. Oh. The best retro news story that we have, which is the Atari hat. Oh, boy. The Atari hat. When you thought, man, the Atari box, who, who's the audience for that? This may be the thing with the <laughs> smallest audience on Earth. And again, I'm not 100% sure what it is. I thought it was a hat that was a boombox, but apparently I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, I wish it was. It would be better than what it actually is. So if you thought Atari was done with the Atari box, if you thought they had kind of risen from their, their moldy grave that had been sitting out back in your, your fucking uncle's weird shack or something for the last 20 years, and they are just like, here's the Atari box, and we're we're out of here. No, they've they've got another thing for you to buy, and it is called... I don't even I don't even know if this is the official name for it. It's like the it's called the Atari hat. That's what it's called and to it me looks forever. Like a, a trucker's hat that you can buy in like a you know some truck stop along the highway or something. You know, uh, it literally looks like it should have like some weird monster truck on on the front of it. But it has an Atari logo on the front of it, which is almost just as bad. And the main draw to this is that it is an actual like replacement for um, a video game headset. Or just a headset in general. So what this is supposed to be is you put this head on. It has some speakers somewhere. It kind of looks like they're in the lid of the cap on the bottom. Because there's kind of some protruding circles if you look at the picture. And the way this is supposed to work is uh, I guess you you hear 
the, the you know, whatever the sounds that are coming out of a console or what whatever the hell you have it hooked up, I'm guessing via Bluetooth, is coming through this giant trucker hat that you're wearing. Um, I'm not sure if it actually has a mic on it. If you wanted to play, uh, you know, haunted house multiplayer, um, but I, <laughs> I don't think it does. It just literally looks like uh, they have made a a giant hat that you can listen uh, listen to things in. It, it uh, speaking of who who the Atari box is for, yeah, who who is this for? I don't even understand it. I don't understand what it is. I don't know who, who would want this or what what the goal of them making it would be. Even just a hat that didn't do those things that had these, the Atari logo on it, probably a hat I don't want. <laughs> right. But then you add in the, the ability that has speakers and the, the the bill of the hat. I don't even understand this thing. What a what a ridiculous idea. No, that's gonna I'm literally be funny. the only thing I can think of. You know. You know, we kind of joke about this, but the whole nostalgia market is pretty big right now, obviously, with the, the NES Classic, the Super NES Classic, all this other stuff. Uh, you know, Crash Bandicoot, that, that new release on PS4 was like, it's a huge seller. It was like one of the best-selling games in, in you know, all over Europe and America uh, for the month that it was out for two entire days. Uh, it, there is a huge market for nostalgia these days, and it just seems like, you know, Atari whatever soulless husk of a, a thing that Atari is at this point is just trying to maybe latch on to that. And whatever they come out with, you know, of course, I always hope this is going to be a, a good product that's worth the money. But when you see things like the Atari box announced and there's literally no information on it besides just like, hey, it'll play video games. And then something like the Atari hat, which makes zero sense besides it just has an Atari logo on it. It just it just comes off as like when Atari's doing it, it's just like, you know, that one kind of hello fellow kids meme that goes around on the Internet. It's just like they're trying their best to to kind of get in on this market, make a little bit of money and then run off because that's what Atari does. It's literally all Atari is these days is just trying to make as just a bit of money here and there and and then disappearing for the next 10 years. I guess it'll go along with my Vectrek shoes I'm going to buy. Those are going to be exciting. Can't wait. <laughs> well, as I was saying, the next episode will either be Super Black Bass or most likely uh, Flashback. I'm going to try to play it on the Genesis, but I believe it's out for Genesis, Super Nintendo, and 3DO. So I think you'll be playing the 3DO version, if I'm correct. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, either the Super Nintendo or Genesis, I think it's the same game, essentially, on, on all consoles. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And, uh, yeah, until then, please check us out at uh, Retrovania.net, uh, on Facebook and Twitter at Retrovania.net. And we will see you next time.